Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. This upcoming concert season will be all about the boots, and Tecovis is your stop for the best in Western style. Tecovis has seasonal and limited edition offerings this spring and summer, including men's and women's boots, apparel, hats, bags, and more. All Tecovis boots are made by hand in a time-honored tradition with timeless styles that are always on trend. And Tecovis has first wear comfort with little to no break-in period. It's hard to find this level of comfort paired with this level of style. Stop by your local Tacova store, have a complimentary drink or two, that's WCB style, and shop new styles. The smell of fresh leather and friendly staff are at your service. Many stores even have leather custom branding to make your boots truly personalized. And with regular live music and events, there's no in-store experience like it. If you can't make it into a store, just visit tecovas.com. That's T-E-C-O-V-A-S.com. They offer free shipping on all boots, as well as free returns and exchanges, and ship right to your door. Go to tecovis.com and find your new favorite pair of boots today. Welcome to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. I'm Matthew of castingacross.com, where I explore the quarry and culture of fly fishing. Thank you for listening to the podcast. This podcast is being released in the midst of all sorts of cultural and social upheaval. And while I'm not necessarily going to comment on that, I do hope that the content of this podcast leads you to getting outside. And while you're listening, gives you a little bit of a break from everything else going on. But then when you get outside, that, that gives you an opportunity to think through things. Because things that are going on, regardless of where you fall kind of on a reasonable spectrum, are worth thinking through. And uh, doing that in the river is an opportunity to escape, but also to process. You know, I even give you permission to only process while you're driving there and back and escape while you're on the water, you know. But I think it is important that we think through things and we do so rationally, but with emotion because we were created with both of those components in us and they matter. Anyway, all that to say, I want to talk about ways that you can get more fishing in. And not just this year, but actually years worth of fishing that you can get in. And there's one way that you can do that. And it is by living better. So real quick, you know, what if I told you that you could fish longer? More hours in a day, more days in a year, and potentially even more years in your life. And for most of us, there is a way. So a significant part of what most fly fishers appreciate about the places where they get to pursue fish is the remote nature of such locales. So even in urban or suburban environs, getting to less pressured spots requires trekking a bit from the parking lots and easy access points. Although fly fishing doesn't have to be an athletic endeavor, it does indeed require moving. And moving requires exertion. And exertion, as you're well aware, gets progressively more difficult as it adds up. That happens over the course of an afternoon, a week, and a lifetime. Climbing up one more hill and down one more steep bank becomes a chore rather than an adventure. The arm and shoulder motions needed for casting become more painful than the deficits in skill. A little ice turns into a big deal or even a mortal threat. 
moving as necessary a part of fly fishing and life as it is can often be an underappreciated as difficult as an injury or illness that slows someone down is unto itself the daily ramifications are often more debilitating while fishing is hardly the be-all end-all of existence losing time on the water because of inability is always frustrating to a passionate angler so it might seem like a potentially dire picture is being painted Certainly, health and wellness have substantial implications, but on a more practical level, being in shape means that you can take full advantage of your day on the water. Scampering across rocks, hiking miles, and temperature extremes are essential facets of some types of fishing. Being able to do those things adequately will literally put you in front of more fish. Even more practically, I've talked to many guides who will basically size up their clients to determine how hard and far they can fish. If you're paying hundreds of dollars, being in peak physical shape for your age will get you the best bang for your buck. Now, some circumstances are inescapable. Hereditary issues and accidents are one thing, but the effects of age or general wear and tear are somewhat avoidable, or at least delayable. People probably don't get into fly fishing for the fitness benefits. However, once you start to fish, the advantages of cardiovascular, muscular, and respiratory health become evident. If you're an aging or out-of-shape fly fisher, this isn't a call to become a triathlete, but an ounce of prevention equals a pound of cure. As they say, a few miles on the treadmill might give you that extra oomph to push deeper upstream. Being conscientious about what you're eating today can lead to being a little more enthusiastic about getting up and moving for fishing tomorrow. General exercise and nutrition will allow you to cast longer in regards to length as well as to time. Now, I fully believe that. I fully believe that a little bit of, of, of work today is going to have lasting implications. And, you know, if you have determined, I'm not going to be a gym rat or even necessarily somebody that goes for jogs on a regular basis, that's okay. Getting out and walking will help. Now, my audience, I know, is all over the place. I've got young guys, and I have older women, and I have everything in between. And so this looks different for everybody. But if you are younger, and this was the, the case for me, I graduated college, and I just stopped exercising. There was no real initiative or incentive. There was no intramurals. There was no gym that was included in tuition. And so I just stopped exercising. And I can remember within a year just feeling like blah and realizing that, you know what, I'm not as young as I used to be. Again, early, early 20s, but I made a conscientious decision to start moving more. And that turned into some cool things, obviously health, but it had some real great fishing benefits because I became a runner in my early 20s. And I don't really take it too seriously. I mean, I just make sure I take care of myself and I make sure I have good shoes and that my feet and my knees and my hips and my back are taken care of. But I mean, a lot of days it's two and a half miles on the treadmill in the morning before work. I do longer runs, but it also turns into something really cool. And now this isn't for everybody, but I would say some of the principles are applicable to you regardless of how you fish because we're going to talk a little bit about running to fish, but the core of this is being minimalistic. So really what it comes down to is that I like trail running and I like fly fishing. And because I have a limited amount of time to do anything like either of these things, I have to be creative and I have to take advantage of those opportunities. So not all pursuits are flexible enough to combine. But trail running and fly fishing can be seamlessly combined in such a way that you're not really compromising on either. So most recently, I ran six miles into the New Hampshire woods. 
Not only did I get a great workout, but a few other interesting things happened. As I went further up the mountains, the water temperature dropped significantly, and with each mile, I saw less and less people. At the end of the day, I had been able to fly fish, see so much wilderness, and put in some serious trail miles. And I caught a lot of brook trout. So here are three reasons why I think you should give running to fish a shot and some tips on preparing for such an outing. So again, this doesn't mean six miles. This might be half a mile. And in some places, a half a mile gets you away from the people who are chasing the stocking trucks. And it doesn't have to be running. It could be brisk walking. So don't let the idea of trail running turn you off. This is the, you know, again, I'm not the extreme one. I know there's guys that go 20 miles into the into the woods. But uh, I try to maximize my time on the water. So for me, running for, you know, maybe half an hour to 45 minutes, you know, four to six miles or whatever, gets me far enough into the woods where I'm away from people and far enough into the woods where I'm into some fresh fish, and I'll still have enough juice after a day of fishing where I can get out. And I'm also not far enough away from, you know, popular trail areas where if there's a problem, I can I can make myself known. Uh, so the first reason is that escape. You get further from where people are and farther from where people have been, and you can do it quicker. So you can hike four miles, or you can jog four miles, or you could run four miles, or you could walk briskly for four miles, or if you have a trail where this is okay to do and it, it works there, you can ride a bicycle four miles. That's a great thing to do. I know, uh, particularly in Pennsylvania, this is where I have my most experience seeing this. I've never done it, but there's old railroad beds that run alongside so many rivers all over the place, and again, that you know has been to the detriment of the rivers, the fact that the railroads have been there, but now if trout populations are back, being able to walk or ride these trails gets you where you're going a little bit quicker than just a leisurely stroll in your waders. So if you want to avoid the crowds and avoid the water that has been pressured, you've got to move. So sometimes that means a mile, other times it means many miles. But if time is limited, moving a little faster, again, so just a brisk walk. And what that gets down to is really reducing your, your gear. So doing this in waders is, is no fun. So having a backpack where you can throw your waders on the back, your back or having a pair of shoes that you're able to throw in your backpack that you're able to flip out and, and, and trade. And so I'll talk about gear more in a second, but honestly, if the weather is such that I am moving really far to fish, I'm going to be wet waiting. So that cuts out that entire situation and that load. So, you know, moving a little faster allows you to spend more time fishing and less time just walking. Now there's places where, you know, you're bushwhacking and you can't move quick and you need waders and it's worth it and I get it. But there's a lot of situations where you're just on a normal trail and if you can pick up the pace a little bit, then you can get there. And so this is where being in shape does matter and not, again, not being an Olympian, but just having enough where you feel like you can do it well, you can do it where you're still going to enjoy fishing once you get there, you're not going to be out of breath and beat red and wanting to lay down, and that you're going to be able to get out safely. I think that that's what I can't overstate enough, that safety always has to matter. So escape is first, exercise is second. So this is like killing two birds with one stone. And there aren't many better ways to redeem your time outdoors than combining fitness and fishing, in my opinion. So if I want to fish and I also want to run or jog, I can do both. And I don't sprint. You know, I, I, I move at a pretty good pace, but enough where, again, I'm, I'm going to be able to still enjoy myself when I get there. And 
as I said before, staying fit from jogging, hiking, running, it's one way to catch more fish because you'll be able to fish more and be around more. I still get tired casting a saltwater rod all day because it's not my primary mode of fishing. You can get tired from casting a streamer on a six weight all day. And not to say that you're going to rig up your uh, machine, your weight machine in your, your basement to emulate a casting motion, but there's just some general fitness. I mean, doing push-ups and sit-ups and going for a couple of miles, brisk walk or jog. It, if you're able to do that, then that will translate into more and better casting and fishing. And little things like maintaining a, a high stick when you're nymphing, that does, after a while, start to wear on you being able to maintain a good stroke on your cast everyone wants to cast better and you know what everyone's a great caster after they get warmed up so you know maybe 15 20 minutes of getting dialed in and then great casting for a few hours but then do you start to drop off because your shoulder your elbow or even your hips are are getting worn out and depending on how you're fishing you're fishing on a drift boat there's so much leg muscles as i talked about um a couple weeks ago there's so many leg muscles that are involved in stabilizing yourself so is your body focused on keeping yourself upright up against the support and the front of a drift boat or are you focused on casting and it sounds like a silly thing But I know that I've had long days of fishing hard where I'm losing my edge from casting because I start to get tired. And I think I'm in pretty good shape. So I have to assume that it's not just me. And talking to guides, I know that it isn't just me. All right, so escape, exercise, and then experience. And this is, I think, one of the most important things. It's fun because you'll see things you won't see if you just drive somewhere, get out and fish. You see things you won't see if you just go for a run in the woods because you're trading slow for fast, but that also means getting more instead of less. So you're trading slow for fast, but you also get more instead of less. So obviously moving slowly, you're going to see mushrooms and you're going to see more birds and you're going to notice things and you're going to hear things. But if you move fast, I think, I feel like I've come across more wildlife when I'm running because I'm not stomping and I'm running on soft trails and I have a pretty good form. And so I'm not making a lot of noise try not to run into branches or anything like that. So I do see a lot of critters when I'm out running quickly and I'm also covering more ground. And I kind of feel like me running through the forest quietly in a more remote spot is going to get me into cooler situations than me going at a leisurely pace in a place where there's a lot more people. And of course that translates to fish also. So it's just a fun experience. You see, I, I always see things that are really exciting, whether it be wildlife or uh, natural features or plants or whatever uh, in in a new way when I move a little bit past the crowds. And if I want to be fishing and not just hiking, then that means moving a little bit more briskly. So let me go real quick through my packing list for fishing and trail running. Now, again, if you're not a trail runner, that's not a problem. This is just kind of an, an ultralight minimalistic packing list. And I've talked about things like this all the time before, but in case you're a new listener or this has piqued your interest and instead of going back and exploring the archives, then hopefully this will be helpful for you. I always wear lightweight, quick-drying clothes, and I, I fish in my normal running gear. So shorts with that are you know above the knee, it's not a fashion contest, and that's good running shorts. And then I almost always, without with very few exceptions, have a long sleeve shirt. 
um, because there are a few things in my mind that are more miserable than wearing sunscreen and running in it and it, you know, moving all over your body, running down your face into your eyes, that sort of stuff. So I would prefer to run in a long sleeve shirt and then bring a buff and use that to cover my neck and ears as opposed to wearing sunscreen. Uh, but I will put sunscreen like on the back of my hands and on my, on my nose and stuff like that once I get out there just because there's no way to avoid that. But these kind of clothes are, if they get wet, they're going to dry out fast, either from sweat or from water. A medium-sized hydration pack. This is this is key. I mean, you, you need water. I carry water when I fish all the time. That's one of the quickest ways to have a bad day or get a headache, lose focus, is to be dehydrated. And you're not dehydrated like passed out and beat red and having to get taken to the hospital. You just don't have the water that your body needs to do the normal processes that a person does. So lots of water trail running shoes and wading shoes and the reason for this is i don't want to run in wet wading shoes and i don't want to fall while i'm fishing and then both need to be light for the sake of being on your on your feet when you're wearing them whether you're running or, or wet wading and then on your back when you're not wearing them and i would say that if i was just hiking i would i would say the exact same thing i have like grades of shoes i have a lot of shoes and it's not because i for style purposes it is for actual outdoor use. So I have my Astral Brewers, which I absolutely love for wet wading, although with my ankle pretty jacked up still, I'm not sure how much of those I'm going to be using this year. And then I have um, one step up, I have a pair of New Balance Trail Runners that are ultra light, and, but super grippy. And then one step above that, which I'll probably be using more with my, my ankle injury, is I have a pair of Gore-Tex Merrill, um, I'm not sure which they are, the Moabs I think is what they are. But then I have my Reddington Benchmark boots, which are legit wading boots, but they're incredibly lightweight and they drain really fast. So those elements I just mentioned, I can kind of mix and match. I can wear this this year. I'm going to probably be in my Merrells for moving to the water. Probably not going to be doing trail running in June or July because I my ankle is still kind of rehabbing. And I'm not going to be wearing my Astrals while I'm wet wading because I need ankle support. So I'll be using my Reddington Benchmarks because they have the full ankle support and a lot more rigidity in the footbed. Even though they're super, super lightweight, they still offer all that protection. Um, and especially if I'm just wet wading and kind of moving through brook trout streams, I'm not going to need the, the big full support of some of my clunkier, bigger wading boots. But when I'm in tip-top shape, then I'm in my lightweight New Balances and my Astrals. And so again, you mix and match what you have. And maybe if you want to, if you're just going to be moving quickly and you're cool with wearing something that might be a little bit damp, then you might have a pair of sandals or even a pair of ventilated shoes. I know that Astral makes some hiking shoes that they tout as being great out of the water as you're moving again now again I, I haven't worn those and so i can't comment on that but at the same time i was skeptical of using the brewers when i was fishing and uh, moving around and then i use them i absolutely love them so i know that astral makes shoes that can kind of do this double duty and i'd love to give those a shot but um again if you are concerned about having wet shoes while you're walking then you'll want to bring something lightweight to put on your back that you can move in all right, a lot of talking about shoes, but I think shoes shoes matter. Shoes shoes protect your feet and your knees and your back and all those things, and uh, it's it there it's a worthwhile investment to buy good shoes. Small first aid kit. If you get a blister, if you get a cut, if you hook yourself, if anything like that, if you have a headache, couple of of, of pills for headache and some band aids and some bandages and something a little bit more heavy duty. Um, if you have a, a significant cut, you need to have that. 
packable rod and reel. So the shorter when broken down, the better, so you don't snag it on trail side branches. I have a handful of rods that I fish in these situations and they all break down to at least two feet or shorter. And that way I can move through streamside vegetation easy if need be. And I also don't feel like I'm running with an antenna popped out of my back. But again, if you're moving a little bit more deliberately, just kind of a brisk walk, then even having a two piece, as long as you're not in dense foliage, you'll be okay. And the reel, it doesn't matter. Lighter the better, I suppose. I mean, all this stuff adds up. Minimal flies, tippet, and tools. Pare down what you have to what you know you'll need. I have a fly box that I carry when I do stuff like this. It's a floating fly box. I think Orvis is the one that, that I have that I use for this. It's just a foam box with kind of that nylon on the outside. And it's got two dozen flies in it. And they're the flies that I use 98% of the time when I'm fishing on mountain streams don't carry a lot of fly boxes and only maybe three spools of tippet. I don't bring my whole whole thing and then a small leader wallet with only a couple of replacement leaders in case I have a traumatic incident. Cell phone. Cell phone matters because you got to take pictures because you got to post on Instagram and also because if you get hurt you need to call somebody for help. That's actually much more important than taking pictures for social media. But bring your cell phone and have a place where it's going to stay dry and it's not going to fall out and you're not going to panic because you lost your cell phone in the middle of the woods. And then food. If you think you need food while you fish, you'll need twice as much food while you run or jog or hike and fish. So make sure you have space for a cliff bar or for two cliff bars or for a big bag of granola and trail mix and things like that. So give it a try. You might find a new way to enjoy the outdoors and probably get to fish in some different places. And you'll definitely get a workout along with your fly fishing. I know not everybody can run. And if that's the case, just take the principles about being minimalistic and moving a little bit lighter and quicker. And just ignore what I've said that's beyond your comfort zone. Don't push yourself. Second caveat, I know that Tenkara is a great way to limit gear even further. And if that is your bag, then go for it. I will bring a Tenkara rod when I go hiking with my family only because it's much quicker to set up. I'm not going to be doing serious fishing when I'm with my kids. And so to be able to just get 20 feet of line out, boom, fish, get into some, some, some little trout or some whatever, and they can do it very simply, that's usually when I bring the Tenkara rod when I'm doing this. But again, if you are absolutely into Tenkara, then knock yourself out. This is a perfect application for it. This is something you're into, let me know. Let me know if you have any other ideas that I could share. I do want to talk about backpacking and fishing gear in an upcoming episode because I had a couple people ask about that, and I've done that, and it's a lot of fun, but it, it is different because minimalism is, I think, even more important um, when you are doing a whole lot of other things and carrying a whole lot of other gear than even just moving quickly and lightly into the woods. This week on Casting Across, the first article is called The Story of Salmon and Us, Arthur Mark Kurlansky. Now, I talked to uh, Mr. Kurlansky for quite a while about his book, and again, it's called Salmon, a Fish, the Earth, and the History of Their Common Fate. And it is an excellent history of salmon as a species, salmon as a commodity, and salmon as something that anglers pursue. And the, the book was great, and then getting some more insight from uh, Mark Karlansky was really cool for me also. So uh, immediately on reading the book, I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to write about as I talked with him, and it had to do with our shared experience on two New England rivers. 
and the Atlantic salmon that used to swim there and that have tried to swim there uh, in recent decades but really haven't had a lot of success. So read that article. I think it's, it's a pretty cool article. And then read the book. I'll talk about the book more at the end of the podcast. Also, if you want to hear Mark Kurlansky, I know that he has appeared on a number of other podcasts. I know that Fly Fishing Consultant, uh, Rob Snow White's podcast, he was, he was on that. So you can go listen to him there. The next article that came out was called Some Good News Through Fishing. So as I started this podcast uh, by saying this is being released in the midst of just great upheaval. Coronavirus is still very much a thing, although it has taken a backseat in the news cycle to the murder of George Floyd and the protests that have come out of that and then the riots that have come out of that. It's all in the news and it is all a lot to take in. We need to take it in, but we need to take it in with the right perspective. And I'm, again, not going to to preach on that right now, but what I wanted to do in this article is show that there are people doing good things and reaching out to people from a diverse set of backgrounds and even using fishing to do so. So the articles I shared are actually relatively new, but they're two interviews with Mayfly Project volunteers, uh, mentors, and they work with kids in foster care. They work with kids uh, from all sorts of backgrounds, and they are loving them and caring for them and mentoring them unconditionally. And that's a nationwide program. I also included an article about Elevate Youth, which is a Boston-based program, taking inner-city kids that have never been out of the city outdoors, and fishing is is part of, of what they do in that program also. And so it's good news. It's positive stuff. When, when people say we want change, these are examples of ways people are trying to make a change. And a lot of times they're doing it quietly. And they're doing it through relationship. And I'm not to say that's the only way that change can happen or should happen, but these are some cool stories that are good news. They are good things that are happening. And so I think they are worth reading and thinking about. This week's recommendation on the podcast is the aforementioned book, Salmon, a Fish, the Earth, and the History of Their Common Fate by Mark Kurlansky. And Patagonia Books published uh, Salmon, and it's a really good read. There is absolutely an environmental and conservation emphasis in the book, but it is not heavy-handed. And that was one of the things that I took away from my conversation with the author, was that he certainly has his political ideology and it is present in the book but he um, doesn't bash you over the head and I think the reason for that is is natural resources are a linking element that unite people across political spectrums so obviously there there are hot button issues where people are going to take different sides when it comes to conservation but something like salmon uh, people who live in Alaska people who live in Maine they care about these fish. People live in the Pacific Northwest. They care about these fish. And so whether they're on the right or on the left, uh, there's people that are advocating and standing up. And similarly, there's people on the left and on the right that aren't doing so. And so it's just a great history of the fisheries that we might know and love. And it also it takes a really good look at fish farming, which is a bigger detriment to salmon and salmon fishing than most of us probably realize. So I could keep going on because we talked for a really long time and a lot of it made into the article, but not all of it did. But I would just recommend you check it out. I'll put a link to the book on the show notes 
of the podcast page on castingacross.com. Thanks for listening to the Casting Across Fly Fishing Podcast. Please subscribe in your favorite podcast app and rate the podcast on iTunes. Then head over to castingacross.com where you'll find more info on this podcast and three posts a week on the people, places, and things that go into the pursuit of fish. Thank you.